Welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I'm excited to introduce my special guest to you. But before doing so, I want to shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers. We are celebrating passing the mile mark of 1,000 subscribers. And so uh, a little bit of celebration. It's really just to celebrate not me, but all of our subscribers and all the uh, shares and likes and, and subscribing that you've done uh, over the past year or two. And so I just want to say thank you to all of our subscribers as well as thank you to all of our patron supporters because of your support. I get to produce free material like this and put it out there on YouTube and whatnot. So thank you to our patron supporters. You too can become a patron supporter by following the Patreon link in the description below. Now for today's episode, I want to introduce my special guest to you. His name is Cameron Bertuzzi. You probably know him from Capturing Christianity. Cameron, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good. It's good to be here. Hey, I'm re- Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, excited to have you on for, for a number of reasons. One of them real quick will be whenever I first started doing this, uh, I was kind of deciding, you know, how do I want to go about this? What do I want my channel to be about? That sort of stuff. And uh, the main influence is really I've been a fan of uh, uh, Justin Brierley's unbelievable podcast for a long time and just kind of how he interviews people and just kind of talks to them and things like that. And of course, he hosts debates and things like that on there as well. Um, and so I was really looking at a model like that. And then you came along on on the Unbelievable podcast, I believe, uh, with uh, Cosmic Skeptic, I think it was. And I said, oh, I want to mm-hmm. check this guy's stuff out. So I went and looked, and you had kind of kind of a similar model. And I was like, oh, but this guy's like two steps ahead of me, and he's doing it a lot better. So, But, uh, yeah, so I really uh, like uh, what, what, what you got going on over at Capturing Christianity, and it's been an influence of mine as well. So I'm excited to have you on uh, for that reason. Um, but as well as I've I've learned a lot from your material as well. So uh, again, thanks so much uh, for joining me. And for those who may or may not be familiar with who you are, I thought it might be helpful if you give a uh, introduction of who you are and what you do. Yep. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing those those comments about the the influence that the ministry has had on you. And I I don't want to sound too cliche with this, but I do just sort of give it all to God, like all the the glory, so to speak, is is gods. But yeah, so, and we'll get into this in a little bit. So I I never planned on doing anything like this. I kind of like fell into it. And I think most of my jobs that I've held, even as a photographer, I was, I sort of fell into that. And then I kind of fell into apologetics. So yeah, it's just, it's amazing what God has done. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, it's great to be here and uh, congratulations on a thousand subscribers. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really happy that your, your channel is growing. I'm, always looking for new apologists and new new Christians, new Christian thinkers to promote. And when I came across your stuff, I noticed that just to, to kind of pay some something back to you here, sure. there was I noticed first of all that like your your branding seems seemed like you you kind of knew what you were doing. The thumbnails are all very consistent. You've got kind of a consistent color scheme and your fonts and everything. And so that that's the kind of stuff that I pick up on. And I noticed like I noticed that initially, but that that's that's sort of just the face of it, but ultimately it's about the content and how you interview and how you handle yourself and the discussions that you're that you're doing and the, the topics that you want to focus on. And <clears throat> I noticed that, uh, yeah, your your stuff is just really good. So I'm I'm really happy to uh, to help you out and promote you. And this is awesome. I'm yeah. I'm really uh, yeah. I like I like the stuff you're doing. Well, so a little about me. Yeah. So my name is Cameron Bertuzzi. I was, I guess I still am, a photographer. And I, as I mentioned, I, I kind of fell into photography. But eventually I started a ministry called Capturing Christianity. And perhaps I should explain why that happened, why the move from photography to apologetics. Yeah, definitely. So about a little under a decade ago, I learned that my brother became an atheist. He sort of came out to my brother-in-law, and then my brother-in-law told me. And then I had a conversation with my brother and the conversation did not go well at all. And after that, I set to basically go out and learn what are the reasons, what are the what's the evidence for Christianity? How can I respond to some of the things that he said? But also on this journey, I wanted to discover what the truth was. Like if it was going to lead down some other path away from Christianity, I wanted to know that. I wanted to know what are the good, re- are there any reasons at all? Not just give me the reasons. I wanted to know if these reasons are good. So I started this journey and Started. I found William Lane Craig. I found some other Christian apologists. And as I started to read the literature, I learned that, hey, there's actually a lot of evidence and a lot of arguments for Christianity that are 
pretty strong. And it it kind of surprised me to learn that there are all of these are all of these arguments and evidence. And so I I didn't apostatize it and fall away from Christianity because I found this evidence and I wanted to share that. I wanted to share my experience with other people. Basically say, hey, look, you know, as it, I grew up a Christian and I, I was actually part of a, a charismatic church. And so we, it was very touchy-feely. It was very emotional, emotion-based. And there would be like, you know, healing services and, and whatnot. But how do you really test whether or not someone was healed from something like that? And so it was, it was very emotion-based. And off of that, I, I wanted to say, hey, look, Christians, other Christians who were like me, there's all of this great material. If, you, if you're doubting Christianity or if you're not sure if there's any good arguments or evidence for the truth of Christianity, look, there's all of this material that you need to read before you, you make any kind of decision. And so that's kind of what I want to do with my ministry now is provide these resources, invite on professional philosophers and just smart people, on, on not just on the side of Christianity, on the side of atheism and we're even going to start doing some more stuff in Muslim apologetics too, eventually. So that's that's kind of the the story behind the ministry, how it started, uh, some some of the reasons how it got started. There's, there's obviously a whole lot more detail right. that we can go into, but yeah, yeah. So I, I want to say thank you for the the comments that you made before going into that about myself and the ministry over here. It means a lot coming from you, so I really appreciate it. And uh, secondly, I want to say that I'm, I'm not going to give you crap about your hat. I like the backwards hat, so that's cool. Uh, it's a lot better than the than the than the quarantine hair. I'll say that much. But. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, I think that's so funny. Uh, kind of the the relationship that you have with William Lane Craig, and how he was giving you crap about your hat. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, I think he was. That, I think that we all kind of. Uh, when I say we, I think uh, I don't know how old you are, but uh, I'm, I'm about 27. I'm about 27. 33. Like, like I don't know how old I am, but I'm 27, and I think that our generation really, if we come to apologetics at all, it's through a similar way that you just described, which is kind of similar to my story, which is the way you describe it, just kind of falling into it. I've been kind of saying apologetics by necessity because I was in, I was in seminary and this is actually a pretty common theme among people who go to seminary or just anybody that kind of dives into the intellectual life of Christian faith is that you're going to have some doubts at some point. Uh, so like I was just knee deep in like systematic theology and church history and just all this stuff that I never thought about before. And then it just occurred to me, you know what? I don't even know like how that I know that God even exists in the first place or mm-hmm. that you certainly don't know that Jesus rose from the dead and that, that the Bible is God's word and stuff like that. And so that's kind of how I fell into it. And, uh, but yeah, so I think that's a pretty common experience that you described if people um, come across apologetics uh, at all. And, and I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. If you had something to say, go. Well, I was I was just reflecting on like how how people normally fall into apologetics, and then how can we get apologetics to like the wider culture? Mm-hmm. I think I think personally, the way that we're going to do that is through pastors who care about apologetics. And the thing is, like, because where I live, I, I live in the deep south in Texas, and you, it's very difficult to find someone just in everyday life who is skeptical or an agnostic or an atheist. Most people are Christians, and so there's not really a, a culture here of doubt. And so it's difficult to, like, people in my neck of the woods, it's difficult to convince them, hey, look, you need to care about this. You need to care about apologetics. You need to care about these arguments and evidence that people bring against the faith. It's difficult to convince people of that. And so I'm, I'm, I've always been thinking, like, how, how can we get people who are, are not really interested in it to to kind of see the value of apologetics. So, so I think one way is to to have pastors who care about it and who can introduce little things here and there so that when someone in their congregation starts to doubt, they can remember that there's something that the pastor said that's relevant here and then use that as like a springboard to to get into it deeper. And there was there was something else that I was going to say, but anyways, sh- in, yeah. Feel free to share yeah. any of your thoughts on that. You know, I think you're exactly right. I think the local church and pastors uh, specifically is going to be the best route to uh, getting Christians to see the value in apologetics and also, uh, yeah, just seeing the value in it. But And I think uh, that pastors should be, because I know that pastors care about this, which is uh, it's going to be what James calls faith without works, uh, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called... Uh, 
I can't remember what he called it, but basically just the uh, nominal Christianity. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, and I don't mean this disrespectfully or anything like that, it's, it's just an obvious observation that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and they, they might go on Christmas and Easter, and that's about it as far as church goes, and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, and so I think uh, yep. I know that a lot of pastors really care about that subject even if they don't necessarily care about uh, the intellectual, philosophical arguments for the existence of God and things like that, they definitely care about uh, Christians who are basically exemplifying faith without works or nominal Christianity. Mm. Yeah. And I have found personally... Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, and I have found personally that Christian apologetics has stirred my spiritual life or has stirred me in, in, in the spiritual disciplines. So, for example, um, I think prayer is a lot... Of th- a th- is something that a lot of Christians either struggle with or don't do a lot of, and that's definitely been the case for me. But like, when you know, because you have, say, a feel, uh, solid arguments for the existence of God or, or something like that, that there is a God that is on the other end of the prayer. Like, it, it just, I don't know what it does. It increases the odds that I'm actually going to pray, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Or if you know yeah. that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, not only via personal experience and things like that, but also because you study the historicity of it and things like that, I think you're much more likely to want to want to share that information or to evangelize uh, the lost. And so I think that Christian apologetics yep. really stirs spiritual life and spiritual disciplines. And so I think that's kind of a way to get pastors interested in it or why pastors should be interested in it and then kind of getting into the local church. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'm on yeah. board with that. So uh, moving on a little bit here, uh, what has been, uh, this is a question I've, I wanted to ask you, you've had on so many uh, awesome people, um, including atheists like Graham Oppie, who's somebody I really like, uh, what's been your favorite interview or debate that you've had on your channel? So I was thinking about this for a while, and I'm, I'm trying, because it's been a while since I've watched some of the debates and stuff that I've hosted, so, but there's two that really stick out in my mind, and it, it believe it or not, it's not, it's not any of the ones with uh with Graham Oppie or with William Lane Craig, and he's been on a couple times. So I'm uh, the the two that stick out in my mind. So there's there's one that was between Luke Barnes and Alex Malpass on the fine tuning argument, and that one sticks out in my mind because Alex is just such a clear he's he's an atheist, but he's such a clear thinker, mm-hmm. and that is something that I really esteem like when when somebody even if they disagree but they can just articulate their ideas and help along a conversation because they they think so clearly it the conversation between them two was just it was such a pleasure to listen to and be a part of so that's one that really sticks out in my mind and also because i like the fine-tuning argument a lot so it was just fun to to hear them go back and forth on it and to, i'll say something nice about luke barnes too he's a cosmologist out in i think it's sydney but he, australia for sure and he's just incredibly brilliant. He's just probably one of the most, the, one of the smartest people that I know personally. Yeah. So it was, it was just an awesome conversation to see them go back and forth. And then the next one is a conversation between Matt Flanagan and Jason Thibodeau, which is probably one of the lesser watched debates that I've hosted. It's, it was on the Euthyphro dilemma okay. to the moral argument. And that, that one was a very narrow topic. This, this, Dilemma is something that pops up in conversations about morality and God and how God grounds morality or, or if he does it all. And so it was it was a really amazing discussion between them two to go so deep into a topic like that. It was that one was actually one of the most difficult for me to follow along as it was going. And so when I when I encounter a situation like that, I just try to like, look, other people that are watching this, maybe if they're, you know, maybe it's confusing to me, but for some people who really need this material, I'm just kind of kind of let them go and have their conversation and then maybe jump in a little bit later because I want the the benefit of the conversation to be what people are, are getting out of it instead of just like me jumping in to try to get clarification. Now, I know on the other side of things, it's important to kind of jump in and, and help the audience understand, but so I tr- it's, a, it's a difficult line to, to walk, yeah. but those are the two discussions or debates that I've hosted that really, really stick out in my mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, just along the lines of what you were just saying there, I think you're an excellent host. I think you do a good job of uh, 
riding that line like you were talking about. But uh, real quickly, I want to say to the audience, we will have a, a portion of, uh, of Q&A at the end. Sorry, I'm, I'm learning how to go live. This is only like my third live one to do. But anyway, we will have Q&A at the good, end. Man. I always forget to say this at the beginning. We'll have a, a session of Q&A at the end. Of course, you're welcome to talk amongst yourselves in the live uh, the live uh, live chat there like everyone always does but if you want uh, me to address a question or Cameron to address a question you can tag at help me believe in the comment section and I'll try to get to those I think that we have super chats now I don't really know how that works but if you do that hmm. thing I guess I'll be like everybody else and be sure to address those first because I feel obligated to because you spent money <laughs> on it and uh, I'm kind of greedy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we did just recently get approved for monetization or whatever. I'm, I'm kind of new to all of it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've made a dollar and 65 cents. I don't want to brag, but I think I'm going full time now. Um, yes. But uh, anyway, so yeah. Lot- you, you obviously, you got into this because of the money, right? So yeah, I mean. Exactly why I got into it was for the money and um, it's really paid off for me. So I've been able to pay off all my debt with everything and stuff. So yeah, uh, that's, a t- nice. that's a total joke, but uh, I'm not very funny, but yeah, uh, Luke Barnes is somebody that I have had on and yeah, he is definitely very brilliant Awesome. and I don't know much about, uh, cosmology or, or just science in general. I never pretend to know anything about that, but, uh, yeah, he is definitely, uh, fun to talk to and he, he's really nice and he's super intelligent. Like you said, I hadn't heard of the, the other debate like you kind of predicted there, but, uh, it, yeah, I think it's a, like, I mean, for for my views right nowadays, it's at about I think it's like two two to three thousand, which is I mean for some YouTube channels it's that's that's a lot, but in terms of like the discussions that I've hosted, I think it's on the 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 lower end as as it stands right now because a lot of people are starting to go back and kind of watch some of the older discussions that I've yeah that I've hosted. But so it's it's unfortunate that it that it's at such a low view count right now, and I don't know that anything is really going to change that. But it's it still, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it might so if really you go cool. share it hey, do you, on Facebook. Or, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Uh, but do you mind if, I, I think my daughter is trying to come in here and get some help with her with her Kindle. So do you mind, she's like ringing this little bell out here. Do you, do you mind if I... Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I'll tell that joke I know. Care, okay. Go ahead. Do it. Do, tell your joke. <laughs> Cammy, come here. Don't know any jokes. See. You don't have any? Somewhere. No, I'll look in the Q&A. What's good, Hayden? What's going on, Nick? There you go. Yeah, my wife is. Uh, she's been called back to work this week, so I've got all the kids with me at home. So enjoy your Kindle time. All right. <laughs> no, you're perfectly fine. We good to go. Okay, so super good chat does work, and it's from Digital Hammurabi. Thanks, Digital oh. Hammurabi. Thanks, uh, Dr. Josh and or his wife, whoever's over there, sending four ninety nine from Digital Hammurabi. Congratulations on your subs, Hayden. Listening in while I work. Here's to continual respectful conversations between skeptic and believers. Thank you very much, sir or ma'am. I'm sorry, I don't know who's commenting, but uh, uh, if it's Dr. Josh, he was a a lovely guest to have on. We had a great conversation. And shout out to Nick Quint. I see you in there. What's going on, Nick? Uh, He says he really enjoyed your conversation on uh, 1 Corinthians. I don't have it pulled up anymore, but 1 Corinthians 14 or something. I'm not sure. Um, He may have been talking about me. I did that. I don't know if you did or not. but anyway, uh, yeah, not, not me. Okay, he may have been talking to me. I thought he was talking about you. Uh, but I was uh, surprised that uh, your your choice and your favorite interview was not Dr. William Lane Craig, also as you predicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did your relationship with William Lane Craig begin? Because uh, I've got to say, mm-hmm. I he is one of I, well, I'm going to throw him under the bus. He is one of the few that I have been unable to get on. And so I, I didn't expect, I never expect to, that uh, these people who are well-known and write books and all this sort of stuff, that they're going to want to come on my channel or anything. I don't ever approach it with any expectations. Uh, but yeah, I was in contact with the, the offices of William Lane Craig, and uh, I don't think we were able to get him to come on. But anyway, so how did uh, you uh, become kind of friends or acquaintances with uh, Dr. William Lane Craig? That's a good question. So the first time that I met him in person, was we had a Facebook group. This was before Capturing Christianity. I think it was actually just like maybe six months, maybe just a couple months before I started Capturing Christianity. So I started Capturing Christianity in October of 2016. So it's now May of 2020. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily matter to the story that I'm telling. But so we met with Dr. Craig and Jan and the whole like, we went to his Defenders class. There was a Facebook group 
we organized this meeting or this like little get together, I guess. And we, we basically just hung out with Dr. Craig and they, they like threw this whole thing for us. Like that afternoon, I think Jan stayed up and like made sandwiches for all of us. It was, it was incredible. And there was, there was really just a handful of us. John McRae was one of the the guys that was there, Adam Coleman and uh, Wade Tistammer. Wade is, is another guy that I've had on my channel. He's uh, also goes by Maverick Christian. He's super, super intelligent. But so it was, it was just a handful of us and we went there and we like watched his defenders class. That was amazing. And then after that we had lunch with him and we were able to, he like, then he got up and got a microphone and we just could ask him any question that we wanted. And we did that for a little while. So that was my first in-person meeting with him. Later on, I was, I attended a conference and he was there and I went and said hello. And then I think, so, okay, I, I should mention this too. So the first time that I met him at the Defenders class, I asked to take his picture because I'm a photographer. And so I took a picture of him on this little camera that I brought and I I, I really liked it. And so I, I posted it and then I, like, I think I tagged him and then I also sent it to him and I said, hey, look, you can use this for whatever you'd like. And so his his media team loved it and they started to use it for stuff. Nice. And so that was that was one of the ways that I kind of, got got in was to offer some some free photography services and now Jan, Jan loves me she she loves the photography so she's like anytime I see them or in person she's like always asking me photography camera questions because she's now the like the photographer in the family oh, she's nice. like always bringing around a, a camera and like is trying to take pictures of him and stuff because she's she's basically almost at every event that he ever does I think I'm pretty sure so so yeah, that that's that's basically how I've I've kind of gotten in yeah, was cool. photography and then just kind of meeting him in person. So here's a question that comes to mind, just kind of offhand, but uh, because you're mentioning Jan and I've I've listened to Dr. Craig talk about his wife and and how supportive mm -hmm. she is, and he gives her a lot of credit, and I think it's really cool. Uh, is your wife at all interested? I'm married as well. Is your wife at all interested in Christian apologetics? N I would say. No, for the most part, she had, she does have some some little interests, but it's nowhere near where I'm at. What's interesting is that I actually did an interview with her on my channel, and it I think it was about maybe six to eight months ago, maybe a little bit longer. And so we talked about that. We talked about people were asking her questions so that they could meet yeah. Miss Capturing Christianity. Yeah, you did, and I, and I actually uh, watched it, but I was going to ask you here in front of my audience anyway. But yeah. Uh, I just wonder because oh, okay. my wife just she, she has no interest in it, in it what whatsoever, and it's not because she, she <laughs> couldn't follow it if she didn't want to. She's incredibly smart. She's way smarter than I am. Uh, but yeah, she gets she doesn't get annoyed because she supports things that I do. But sometimes I'll get to talking. She'll be like, "Look, you gotta shut it off, and we gotta talk like about the weather, or about this stupid TV show, or something." Because I can't, I just I'm, I'm tired. Of <laughs> so I was just wondering if anybody yeah. else has a similar uh, experience or not. No, that's 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 kind of my experience. Yeah, we rarely talk about apologetics. Sometimes she'll ask me a question. Sometimes I'll ask her a question, something I'm thinking about. But it usually has to be like the right situation yeah. for that. Yeah, she, where it's not like. Yeah. yeah if go it, ahead. If she brings it up, then then it's fair game to talk about. But if I just start rambling, she's probably going to get annoyed eventually. But. Uh, I can understand right. that, but people get annoyed, so I'm pretty used to it. But uh, what role, and we talked about this question beforehand, so if it's kind of confusing and you want to reword it, that's perfectly fine. But what role do you see uh, apologetics playing? Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit, and the interpretation that I came away with was sort of what what does it play? What What's the benefit of it? Yeah, kind of How can it be used? Yeah. What's the purpose of it? Yeah. So I think that there are three main things, and this is in line with William Lane Craig and what he says about the value of apologetics. So one of the things I think it really does well is it makes Christianity intellectually viable as, as sort of a, an intellectual option for people. So I think that that's super important in our culture. And so that's more of like a cultural purpose yeah. that, it, that, it, that it has. And then another one is preventing apostasy. So instead of people falling away from the faith, it can shore them back up with arguments, with reasons to think that Christianity is true. So, and obviously I think that I, like that wouldn't be a necessarily a good thing if I didn't think that Christianity was true, but because I do think it is true, I think that's a, a good thing that it, that it has going for it. 
And then evangelism is another one, which that's a lot different than the other two. But I think that it's the least, I think, so I think evangelism is kind of like a, a side. Um, it's, it's not like the main purpose of apologetics. And maybe I'm unique in that, but I don't, when I do my thing, I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm trying to evangelize all of these atheists to become Christians. Right. Because I honestly, between you and me, and I know this is not just between you and me, it but it certainly isn't. <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of atheists are sort of closed off to the truth of Christianity. And so for people like that, the best thing to do is not to argue with them or provide them with all of these arguments for the truth of Christianity. I think for people like that who are just genuinely closed, I think the best thing to do is to just pray for them. But for people who are open, those are the people who it's it's going to be apologetics can be a sort of source of evangelism and, and possibly persuading them to embrace the truth of Christianity. But I think people like that are very, I think it's a small number of people, number of total people who are open to argumentation, convincing them that something is true. I think a lot of people, perhaps even the majority in, in that, I think most people are just persuaded or, and yeah, they, they go toward views that they find uh, comforting yep. and yes. emotionally satisfactory. Yeah. So I think that that's, so for the people, for most people, apologetics isn't really going to persuade them, but I think for the people that it does, that's important, but that's not to say that apologetics has no purpose because I think that's actually the, the sort of secondary purpose that it has. I think the the main one, like I said, is that it, makes Christianity intellectually viable. And then it also prevents a lot of Christians from apostatizing. I think that is super important. Yeah. No, I think your assessment is pretty much accurate. And if, and if anybody listening thinks that Cameron's being, you know, uh, dishonest or not fair enough or whatever to skeptics, let me just say that like, I want Christianity to be true. Right. So like I would have to have, um, and it's just the way that we make decisions. And I'm not saying this is, necessarily rational i'm just saying this is how people make decisions they have to see the good in it before they're going to accept it and i see good in christianity i want it to be true so if it is intellectually viable now if it's not even if i wanted it to be true and everyone just have to take my word for it i would give it up but i do see it as intellectually viable like you're talking about and and actually more than that i think well i, I mean depends on whatever but i think it, it is true but i also want it to be true and i have no problem saying that but i think a lot of uh, there's probably a lot of skeptics. I mean, I don't have any statistics, but I think there's probably a lot of skeptics and non-Christians just in general who don't want it to be true for whatever reason. And they also don't find it intellectually viable. It doesn't have to be a, a both and. And so I'm really just crowd pleasing here. But anyway, uh, do you ever, this is a question that comes up. Do you ever fear that exposing people, because in the process of apologetics, you have to bring up objections and address them. Whereas mm -hmm. the person, the Christian in this case, uh, that you're bringing this objection up to may have never heard it before. And mm -hmm. now they're going to doubt. And now there's a possibility that they might, like you say, apostatize. So is it ever, uh, is it a fear of yours that that might happen? It's, I mean, it's definitely a possibility that something like that could happen. But I think what, sort of grounds me is going back to just relying on the Holy Spirit to do his thing and to know what he's doing. So I think apologetics works for a lot of people. Like that's not, I won't say most people, but I think it does work for some people. So that is an avenue that the Holy Spirit can use to bring someone into a, a relationship. But for, for others, I think that that's just part of what it means to have free will is that you are able to go down the path that you want to go down and if you want to ultimately reject God, then that's what you can do. And so it doesn't bother me a whole lot thinking that apologetics can lead to these these bad circumstances. On the other hand, it can lead to some really good things. So it's not clear to me that that would necessarily outweigh the positives. But at the same time, I think that it's ultimately what, what God has done is given us the freedom to choose and to go the path that we want to go down. So ultimately it's, we, we basically what I'm saying is that we have to keep in mind that autonomy is a real thing and that someone, if they want to go down that path, if they 
find this objection and they find it convincing or compelling or whatever, which I think in most cases there's probably something deeper going on. It's not always just about intellectual stuff, no matter who you are, including me, including you, including everybody watching. It's not just intellectual reasons. So you can couch it in that. You can say, oh, yeah, I fell away from the faith because of this intellectual reason. When in reality, it's probably something like sin or something else that's yeah. going on when in your reality, life. In reality, you just wanted to move in with your girlfriend. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a meme. No, no, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> no, I think that that's actually, I think that people are driven by emotional factors to a degree that they probably wouldn't want to acknowledge. Yeah, no, Inclu- it would I mean, be, and, and again, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, so it applies it would, to, me, to, to me too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is you can flip this coin over. Um, if I were to apostatize and give up my faith, I mean, there would be huge repercussions of that. Um, my wife, we're just, just starting a family, things like that. It wouldn't be income related, but it would be relationship related. I find a lot of satisfaction in church family and things like that. So yeah, those things definitely play a role and I don't deny them, um, at all. So, uh, what, yeah, I just think yeah, that autonomy ahead. is important. I, I just think that autonomy is important. And the value of that is really important. So you've got to give people the autonomy to make their own decisions, to ingest, that's maybe a gross term to use, but ingest the type of information that they want to ingest and do what they, they come away doing with it. I mean, that's just what it means to recognize that someone is a, an adult and that they can make their their own choices. Yeah. So I, I don't see a, a big problem with that. No, me either. It's just a question that always gets asked, and my answer is usually I don't want people to pretend to believe anyway because if you're faced with an objection, you really do think it's a defeater, but you go on believing, which is impossible, but in other words, you're, you're just pretending. And so that's back to that faith without works type of thing, that nominal Christianity. I'm sorry, like we don't... Christianity is exclusive to some degree. So, I mean, we don't mm-hmm. want people pretending that they believe when they don't. I think you, for one thing, that's not going to be like healthy for you. If you don't believe, just don't, yeah. you know, just don't believe. And so uh, I am thankful that we live in a place where you can not believe. And, you know, like I said, if I were to not believe all of a sudden there would have repercussions with my family and stuff like that, but I'm perfectly free to do so as far as like a, from a legal standpoint, things like that is what I'm getting at. And I want, I don't want people to pretend to believe. So, uh, you know, if, if bringing, so in other words, bringing up objections doesn't, um, I'm not afraid of that either for that reason. But, uh, yeah, that comes back to that autonomy you're talking about. Uh, what advice would you give someone who is interested in apologetics or new to apologetics? Maybe they have a similar story of you and me, but they're on the back, like at the beginning where we were like, wow, this has either kept me from going away or whatever, and now I want to share it with other people. What what advice would I give that person? Yeah, kind of just starting out. Okay. Um, I would say to continue reading. And uh, I, I are you saying that like what, what advice would I give them if they want to start a ministry? Yeah, or not even necessarily like a formal ministry, but they're definitely interested in studying apologetics and sharing mm-hmm. it with others because they see it as a tool for evangelism or as a tool for discipleship or what, what, whatever it may be. But we can go with ministry so I if think, that's easier. Well, what I'm thinking is that it, it would be very good to decide early on whether or not you wanted to to really, really take this seriously so, and also decide, like, think about what type of ministry could this lead to and what would you want to do with it? So for me, it sort of worked out perfectly that I'm a layman. I don't have a degree in apologetics or philosophy or history or anything like that. I have a degree in audio production and I decided early on that I was going to just stick with that just be like a, a lay person interviewing the actual professional professionals and getting their views and, and having them discuss. And, and that was going to be my role in all of this is to provide a platform for people, basically, for the smart people. And I think that's what you've got to decide for yourself. What are you going to be? Are you going to be one of these professionals who studies an argument really in depth, gets a a master's and a PhD and starts writing and publishing papers and, and writes books and everything? Is that your role or is your role going to be someone who popularizes the arguments? And I think that when you decide that, it can really start to shape what your future is going to look like, whether or not you want to find a school to enroll in or if you want to just read more on your own, 
stay an autodidact like I am and eventually start your own ministry or, or maybe not even that's uh, that's your role. Maybe your role is actually to join an existing ministry and support them in some other way. I think Lydia McGrew, she wrote an article on this topic, and I think she's right in that most people who are interested in apologetics are not called to be like the front man of, of a ministry. Hmm. Most people are called to juice, to support ministries and sort of be the feet in the background and making sure that these ministries can happen. So, and I think that's, that's important. Most people are not going to be doing this full time, getting a salary from it, doing it, you know, their full time work will probably be through some other means. And then they'll do this as a kind of hobby or on the side, but I'm kind of rambling at this point, but those are just some thoughts that I have. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Uh, for, I mean, you just got to know yourself and then, you know, uh, be creative. So like I'm, I know myself, I'm not going to be the William Lane Craig debater. Uh, I don't know enough. Um, I am a nerd like that. And I study this stuff all that time, but I also just don't think I could, uh, I respect debating kind of the way he does whenever I hear him talk about it. I think you, he, I've I've heard him talk about his, uh, how, how he prepares for a debate. And I think he's exactly Mm -hmm. correct that you really need to approach it that way because you could go out there and make a fool of yourself. And uh, I'm way too fearful of that. I think I would do just a horrible job. Uh, You've done some debates and I thought you did a good job. But yeah, I don't think it's uh, really for me. I really just like studying it, throwing this information, vomiting the information back out on YouTube uh, whenever I'm finished reading a book or something like that. And then also doing the interview thing as well. Um, But yeah, the supporting roles and then back to the the local church. That really is probably going to be the most important thing. So if you could somehow start a Sunday school class or uh, mm-hmm. just a study group that meets in your home or whatever, and just you can make it like a book club. You take a Christian apologetics book, get some people to come study it. I think that might be the most important thing. Mama Bear Apologetics is like the coolest thing in the world. I've had, uh, I can't think of her name right now, crap, but I've had her on the, the show before. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because she's basically just saying moms. And that's how you change the world is through moms, through parents, the local church, stuff like that. It's not these you know, the big debaters and stuff, but uh, obviously those are important as well. And that might be you. And it, and I do want to add, if you're going to go into the academia side of this, I would strongly recommend, and I say this because a professor recommended it to me when I was doing my master's degree. If you're going to go do a PhD and you're really interested in some apologetic topic, some topic that applies to apologetics, narrow it down to something, something in the field of the philosophy of religion or something in the field of New Testament studies. Um, you can get a PhD in apologetics. I don't think that's a bad thing or anything like that, but I think you'll find it more fruitful to, to go the other route. But anyway, that, that was the advice that was given to me by a professor when I was in seminary. And so I, I tried to always pass that on because I thought it was uh, really good advice. Um, so that was advice for just kind of getting into apologetics. Now, now let's move to the dreaded world of YouTube. So what advice mm. would you give to someone? And this, you could probably write a book on this. You should write a book on this. It would be cool. Uh, what mm. advice would you give to someone just starting a YouTube channel? You should have said, I'll, I'll just do a video on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no need for books when you can make a video that'll get thousands of views. You're not going to get, yeah. Uh, okay, so starting a YouTube channel. So I, I, what's funny is that years ago when I first started capturing Christianity, I think I did, uh, I think I put a couple interviews up or a couple videos up. And Mike Winger reached out to me on Facebook, and I was like, "Who is this guy? Who's who's this Mike Winger dude?" And he's like, "Hey, look, I'll help you with with YouTube. I really like what you're doing. I'll help you like figure out how to how to do YouTube because he at this point I think he'd been doing YouTube for several years, and he had started to grow in popularity. I think at that point he was maybe at forty or fifty thousand subscribers, so he was he knew what he was doing. And I was like, "No, I'm not a YouTuber. I don't really care about that at all. I'm just trying to do like my blog and." do some other things here and there. And whoever's interested in my work is going to be interested in it. And so that, that's just a funny story. But yeah. so I never thought of myself as, as being like a YouTuber or someone who, who does YouTube sort of professionally. But here's, here's what I can suggest that if you're wanting to get into YouTube, what you can do. And the first, the first thing would be to pick a defined, very defined target market. So who is your audience? Basically, so with my audience, you may or may not have noticed this, 
but my audience is very targeted. It is targeted at people who have an interest in apologetics, but are not beginners. So I don't appeal to a beginner who is just getting started in, in apologetics and philosophy of religion. Like if you watch any of my videos or debates, like think about the debate that I just hosted between Dr. Craig and Graham Oppie. Yeah. Like you're a person who just started in apologetics or in philosophy is not going to get a whole lot about out of a debate like that. So my target market, my target audience are people who are sort of intermediate to advanced in in the world of apologetics, which is already a very small world. Right. What's interesting is that you can see that on YouTube, there is an audience for everything. Like it doesn't matter what you do, there is an audience for it. And it's really weird. Like these athe- like atheism, I think only makes up a handful, a percentage of total people in the entire world. Yet these atheist YouTubers like Cosmic Skeptic, he's at like 330,000 subscribers. Yeah. It's insane. There's there's an audience for everybody, doesn't matter what what it is. But the reason why it's important to pick a target like this is because YouTube is not going to know who to pitch your videos to otherwise. Like if they're just pitching your videos to and they, they, they do this, they they will put your video out there and if people are clicking on it, they'll show it more. And if they're not clicking on it, they won't. But if they don't know who to show your video to based on these other users who are clicking on videos themselves and they, they kind of generate like a profile of every person. So if they don't know who to show your video to because you haven't, you don't have a defined target market, then you're going to end up reaching nobody. So if you're if your target is too broad, it's too general, you're not going to reach anybody. And it's it's sort of counterintuitive because you think that going for a small target means that you're not going to get an audience, but really that's the only way to get an audience mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yeah. And then the the second thing that I would say is to just be unique. So if you intend on starting a YouTube channel, doesn't matter in what area, it could be in apologetics or it could be like making cups. My wife just recently started making tumblers, like custom tumblers. She's not going to get in the YouTube game of that at all, which there is a YouTube market for that, believe it or not. Like I said, there's for everything, there's a YouTube market. But uh, just be unique. So when you're thinking about whatever it is you're trying to do on YouTube, look at other channels, see what they're doing, and then do your own thing. So don't just like copycat some other YouTuber, you've got to find what makes your channel unique, stand out and make someone want to subscribe to it as opposed to the 10 other YouTube channels that are basically already doing the same thing. So you've got to figure out what kind of angle are you coming from that's going to make your content stand out and be unique and something that people really want to engage with. Yeah. So those those two main things is what I would say. Yeah, definitely. So this one kind of goes along with it. I don't know, you might have the same exact answer. So I'm wondering if I should ask, but probably the most common question I get, it has absolutely nothing to do with God, Jesus, the Bible, apologetics or anything, but it, it is, how do, how do you grow a YouTube channel? And I don't have any idea. Um, I've only had moderate success. Any success that I'm having is probably just about to start, but um, how, do you, how do you grow a YouTube channel? That's a question I always get. Uh, so the number one thing that helped me is to uh, to collaborate. So I, I did a collaboration with What Do You Meme and Mike Winger, and this happened, I think, a couple years ago. My daughter's back. What's up, baby? Daddy, <laughs> um, remember you said we, we could have Oreos? I want Oreos. We can have Oreos later. <laughs> we can have Oreos later. I'm almost done. I, actually, I have no <laughs> idea how long we're going, but... Yeah, we anyway, she's cute and I love her, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's no, it's all it's all good. She's just hanging out. Um so the number one thing that got me started was uh, I did a collaboration with Mike Winger and What Do You Mean? We did a it was like a 20 part, 20 video series in a playlist where we each took one argument that the friendly atheist made on a YouTube video and we each took turns responding to it and we released it as a playlist. And as a result of that, I think I grew I think at the time I was at like 1,500 subscribers and by the end of it I was at about 4,000 subscribers because they both, I think I think John at What Do You Mean, he was about, I think his audience was about 26,000 at the time and Mike's was about 40,000 at the time, I think. some Something around there. And so their audience became aware of my work through this collaboration that we did and then things really started to progress from there. 
So I continued to create the same types of videos that I did for that series. And then I started doing more stuff. And it's it's sort of just grown organically into doing the videos that I do now. And I've sort of found what works and what what people are interested in, ways to do the live shows that that make them interesting and, and keep people interested in watching all the way to the very end. So it's it's something that you kind of got to learn. But yeah. collaborating is is a great way to grow. And then another another thing that definitely needs to get mentioned is memes. Post <laughs> memes. Oh, I grew uh, the first thing that I did when I was growing my ministry was I, I grew on Facebook first. And so I think I hit uh, within a few months of starting my Facebook page, I was like growing by thousands of, of Facebook likes. And primarily that was through memes, sharing funny memes and, and people love memes on Facebook. And now I'm also sharing memes on the, on the YouTube channel in the community section. And those always get a whole lot of comments, a whole lot of likes. So memes are like just an easy way to, to grow an audience. I mean, if you didn't already know that. And and so now I'm like doing it on, on Instagram as well. And it's, they always do very well. It's, it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Memes you, are weird, you and Michael Jones well. are definitely the meme Kings and it seems to be working for you. <laughs> uh, I'll probably gonna stay out of the meme game, but uh, I think the collaboration thing is definitely true. Um, mm-hmm. one of the first people I had on was, uh, Jay Warner Wallace. And I was just like, wow, holy crap. He said yes to my email. This is gonna be cool. And, uh, you know, just having names on like that really helped grow. Of course, it's an interview style uh, YouTube channel. So that kind of helps a lot. Um, maybe that's why. I, I so here's so yeah. here's one thing that's important is it's cool to like invite popular people onto your YouTube channel. I mean, that's what we're doing today, I guess. Yeah. But it's also it, it's better in terms of like marketing if you can appear on their channel. So like yeah. I, I've done uh, I've had a few appearances on Mike Winger's channel and after each one of those, I think my subscriber counts went up significantly as well. So like, and significant is relative because it like if your YouTube channel is 200 subscribers, a chump of 200 subscribers is, you know, 100 yeah. percent growth. But so it it depends. But every every time that I've gone on someone else's popular channel, it's it's grown a lot. So it's it's good to invite people on, but it's also good to try to collaborate and try to get on their channel. And it's difficult to be like, hey, have me on your channel. Yeah, I was going right? to say, this just... is an argument for me to ask you to come on, but uh, you, actually, <laughs> you actually already did try to schedule that. But uh, Yes, uh, I, yeah. We tried to make that happen, but I, I'm i just super busy. But I do want to have, I, I want to have you on mine. We've got to figure out something that we can do, That's some cool. kind of joint thing. Yeah, so, that'd be dope. For sure. Uh, dope. Yeah, so the, yeah, dope. The uh, collaboration thing is definitely a big one. But the thing is, and I'm just going to put this out there for people who are thinking about starting a YouTube channel, uh, two things. First of, first of all, you'll notice that Cameron did not mention anything about, uh, what do they call it, SEO or like trying to use mm-hmm. little tip, little tricks to get noticed through the algorithm or whatever because that crap doesn't work. Um, if someone says it does work, it doesn't work. Uh, it's the, the best thing is going to be organic growth that happens over time. So consistency is a huge thing, and it's one of the things that I struggle with. I really try to do something once a week. It's kind of hard for me to do um, because... I'm really not actually interested in devoting full time to this. I really like my job and I don't, I don't think I'd ever quit it, but, uh, consistency is a big one. And you're, you're a perfect example of, of what I was talking about earlier. Someone who has a full time job yeah. and then just does apologetics in as a hobby is like in their free time. I think most people are, are called to do what you're doing. Yeah. So even if I did come to a place where I was making a full time income through this, I don't, you got to define full time income also, but anyway, I, I still don't think I job just because I like it so much, but uh, I'm getting a call. So right I need now. to push back. I need to. I need to push back. Oh, you are. No. So I'm uh, first responder. So the, uh, this is through the volunteer department. I don't have to respond. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I need to push back on something you said about like keywords and SEO and stuff. So that that stuff is super important actually when it comes to to YouTube and getting YouTube. So basically, YouTube is looking for a couple different. And I don't want to get too technical, but there, there's a couple things that YouTube is looking for and having good keywords, having good titles, having a good thumbnail, the combination of the thumbnail and the title is super important yes. for whether or not YouTube is going to, to send your video out to people. So I would, I would definitely say to look into that. And the, the good thing is that on YouTube, there are YouTubers who are trying to help YouTubers get good at YouTube. And those YouTubers usually have like... It's true. 
hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So if you're interested, you don't have to like just listen to me on it. You can search for it on YouTube yeah. from other YouTubers who are trying to help YouTubers. Yeah, yeah. And they do an amazing job and they have really interesting things that they say in all of their videos. So if you're, if you're interested, I would recommend that too. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the three biggest things as far as that kind of stuff go is the title, the thumbnail, and I don't know, I guess the keywords, but the keywords are kind of less important. The title and the thumbnail are going to be the biggest ones. Um, keywords, from my understanding, like you're talking about the keywords that you put down in like the description of the video. So I don't, you know, I don't tags, know how much yeah. those, the tags, yeah. I don't know how important those are these days, actually. I think what's most important is the, the title and the thumbnail. Yep. Yep, and the combination and whether or not people are clicking on it. Yeah, and so what I was what I was about to say was that you can, so if I had the title, Jay Warner Wallace, something, 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 and Jay Warner Wallace doesn't appear in the video, is, you know what I mean? I'm just saying like those sort of tricks and stuff like that, is just make it organic, be authentic, do your thing. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's no real tricks as far as uh, getting famous really quick or whatever. I guess there might be, I don't know, but. Okay, so let's do let's do one more question. We're about fifty more. We're, we're at about fifty minutes, not fifty more minutes. We're at fifty minutes here, so let's do one more question, and then I'm gonna go uh, scroll through the Q and A and see if uh, we can come up with something good from there. So again, if you have a question, yeah, you can, uh, tag at Help Me Believe, and the super chats do work. So if you want to do the super chat, I guess I'll address those first. Uh, let's see, uh, what is the future of capturing Christianity going to look like? That is a question. I think, uh, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about how to, I'm always thinking about ways of upping the the content to the next level. How, how can I make more engaging content for people? And what I've, what I've thought about is I've reflected on the, the types of interviews that I've done and the debates that I've hosted and the content that I've produced. I think the most engaging for me personally, and then also I think for the audience, these, these have all done really well are the in-person interviews that I've done with say Gary Habermas, I released one recently with David Wood, with Frank Turek, a bunch of other guys. And the in-person interviews are a lot different because I guess just on a personal level, it's really, it, it's just, it, it makes for a much better conversation to be across, sitting across from somebody instead of sitting across from like a computer screen or a camera. So what my plan, the thinking about for the future of capturing Christianity, what I would love to have happen is to have a studio where I live and have have a way of flying, and obviously this would have to be when the pandemic is over, but flying people in to the studio and doing a live in-person interview out of a studio at least once a week. And then beyond be the, interviews, be we could Rogan do... Christianity. Could be Joe, Joe Rogan <laughs> style, but but it would look nice instead of like... On, with fluorescent lighting up against a brick wall and curtains. You're probably not going to So it would look either. really cool. Probably not going to do that. But yeah, I mean, it, along something along those lines. I mean, it's it's yeah. Well, anyways, that that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, cool. it, it's some yeah. in-person interviews, but doing it live, so not yeah. not like just recorded and then posted way after mm -hmm. the fact. So, but that would require a whole lot more mm -hmm. of everything. Yeah, it would. And that, so, that's a piece of advice it, I have to people that want it. Let's say you wanted, you're interested in doing some kind of interview style stuff like uh, uh, Cameron and I. Uh, you probably can't afford to fly people out like that. Cameron's well advanced in his ministry here, but uh, you can get Skype and Skype recorder, and you got you know that makes you able. That's how I'm able to have Cameron on. I can't fly him out here, you know, and so it's not a bad alternative. But yeah, obviously in person is is uh, way cooler. But uh, let's see. Nick Quint asks, can you ask Cameron to remove his hat and whip it? I'm not sure what the whip it part means, but... Uh, and whip it? Maybe he's talking about my hair? Yeah, he wants you oh to whip, whip the hair, I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> am I, I going to get a, a portion a pro, some of the proceeds of these super chats? You, you may or may not. I can't affirm or deny. Yeah. Did we talk about this on air? The, uh, the quarantine hair thing that I did? Uh, I watched the video. I don't think we talked about it here, but yeah. Well, there's no, there's going to be no whipping today, but there it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm scheduled for a haircut on Friday. So I'm super, I'm really looking forward to that because I have actually have a lot of videos that I want to record I've completely written the scripts out for. I'm just waiting to get a haircut before I record them. And then the main one is I'm doing a debate with rationality rules. Who's a, a very popular YouTube atheist 
I think he's at about 230,000 subscribers right now. And uh, so he and I are going to be doing a debate and it's going to be like an opening statement, which is basically just one video from me, 20 minutes long, around 20 minutes. I'll post that. He'll have a month to respond, do his opening. And then when I see his opening, I'll respond to that and it'll just be a back and forth sort of debate-ish cool. thing yeah. that we do on YouTube. So once we do that, or uh, once I get a haircut, I'll, I'll be able to record. So I'm really looking forward to that. But thank you, Nick. Yeah. Thank you for... So I've been getting haircuts this whole time, but uh, yeah, so nobody shamed me for that. But anyway, uh, or my barber. <laughs> yeah, she's probably not supposed to be doing that. But uh, let's see. Pine Creek Wichita asks, question, my perception is that many churches don't do much apologetics training, either on Sunday or other times. Uh, why do you think that is? I think a lot of them just aren't aware that it exists, and I'm just kind of guessing at this point, because I, I don't know what is going on in every single church or what's going on even in most of them. I've only personally attended a handful. So, but my, my guess would be that they aren't aware that it's a thing, that apologetics is a thing. They don't really have a care for it or, or see the value in it. And so that's why it's important that we have people like us who, who do have an interest to go talk to your pastor and say, Hey, look, can I do a Sunday school class? Are you interested in, in having something like this? So that's, that's a way that we can, start to grow some interest in apologetics as if feet on the ground, people actually go out and talk to yeah. people about it. So, but as far as, yes, I, I think that they, they probably just don't either know about it or they don't see the value in it. So they may know about it and they just might not see the value in starting something like that because maybe they're a church in the Bible belt and there's like no one in their community that's doubting or, or anything like that. So maybe they just don't see the value in it. So those, are, I think, are, are two of the biggest things. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's a good question from, well, I'll ask you this one from Crash Course Apologetics. He also says hello to Cameron. He says, uh, or she, I'm not sure. Are you? He. His okay. name is Jordan. Okay, so you know him. Cool. So, he's uh, actually, he just, uh, he, I, should, I should say this. He's another apologist that I'm trying to help grow and uh -huh. stuff. So he's, he just passed 1,000 subscribers like you. So it's a, it's a really awesome. exciting time for him as well. Yeah, congrats so, to Jordan. Really cool. everybody, everybody go subscribe to Crash Course Apologetics. Let's see. Uh, are you going to teach, uh, do you teach your children or are you going to teach your children apologetics? Yes, I, I plan on doing that. I've tried to do, I've tried to have like a couple conversations with my daughter. I mean, you just, I don't know if you actually saw her when she came mm -hmm. in, but. She's cute. Yeah, so she, I, I, thanks. I'm, I'm trying to have conversations every now and then. I do have Dr. Craig's books on like what is God like the the that whole series, so I've I've tried to go through some of those. It's those are a little bit more difficult because there there's some actually deep topics, and obviously he does it in a a really good way. But it's still like at four years old, it might be a little bit too advanced. So I'm just waiting for a good moment or when I when I can notice that she's able to have a conversation like that at a deeper level. I'm very, very eager to start to have those conversations. So yes, the plan is for sure to teach them apologetics. Sure, cool. Sure. Uh, let's see a few more. Oh, here's an interesting question from Harley Wikes. Does the resurrection provide any support for the historicity of the rest of Scripture? That is a good question, yes. So I think it does. So here's the reason why. So Jesus was a Jew— and Jews believe that the Old Testament was infallible, the Word of God, inspired and everything. So if Jesus was who he said he was, and he believed that, that's very good reason to think that the Old Testament is inspired. So then the question would be, well, what about the inspiration of the New Testament, which would then just sort of open up a conversation about the canon and how that was formed and how we can have confidence in the, the New Testament canon, the Old Testament canon, has is is a lot easier to establish be, based on the fact of Jesus. But then the question would be like, so Jesus sort of started the church. He was the initi initiator of the Christian church, and so it it opens up a lot of interesting questions. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is an argument that can be made from the resurrection of Jesus to the inspiration of for sure the Old Testament, and then the New Testament would just get a little bit more complex in how that would work out. But I think Jesus can be the ground of. Of that for sure yeah let's see let's get a few more questions in here is pine creek wichita is this like somebody it's not actually doug 
Um, the only Pine Creek I'm aware of is Doug. Yeah, so that's not him because he's in here too. Uh, first of all, I want to say to Dr. Josh from Dil Hammurabi saying or implying that underlying motivations uh, led to or influenced leaving the faith is counterproductive in my opinion. Uh, well, I just would say that I don't think Cameron or I meant anything by it. Uh, hopefully the fact that I've said that I would have, I have underlying or, or motivations that maybe keep me in the faith and things like that um, would show that we don't mean anything so he's what, what's the what is he saying? Uh, saying or implying that underlying motivations led to or influenced leaving the faith is counterproductive, in my opinion. Okay, but uh, let's. See. I mean, I think it's okay. I I, I can comment, but it's, it's up to you. Uh, that doesn't matter to me. I was just I, I, he kind of put a smiley for the end of it, so I don't think he's really offended by it. Um, but I feel like we prefaced it enough whenever we were discussing that that we didn't mean anything derogatory by it we're really just making a statement yeah no no there was no right exactly yeah it wasn't derogatory it was just to say that we all have emotions and factors that it's not just about intellectual reasons when you make a decision we can we i think we try to convince ourselves of that but that's probably due to like insecurities yeah i made a joke about moving in with your girlfriend so if that offended anybody i guess i apologize but uh what are some this is from nick quint what are some future future potential objections to the Christian faith? What do you see when you look in the future like that? What do you think? So maybe some new objections are going to come in the future. Do you ever predict anything like that? I have no idea how to respond to that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe AI I can't, or stuff like that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it'd be hard to. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I kind of feel like Dr. Craig when I'm saying it like that. But maybe what could be an, an objection down the road if we discover alien life on some planet or something. I don't, I don't know if that's more than likely it would be a really bad objection that we'd have to, to answer. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know what, see, here's the real Creek. I don't know who the other one is. Here's the real one. The problem with collaboration is you just end up preaching to the choir, but that's not true, Doug, because you and I collabed and I got a lot of growth from your followers. So but anyway, I don't even know what the comment is. His problem is that it, okay. Maybe he meant something different than what he said. Maybe so. Because that just yeah, strikes really me as all these So if I got that wrong, Doug, I'm sorry. Uh... So one of the questions that you had in, uh, that you sent me earlier was, how do you decide who to engage with and who to not engage with? I thought yes. that was an interesting question. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'll should, keep scrolling should through should probably here. be, yeah. Uh, yeah, it should probably be addressed. I really ever talked about this, so it'd be it'd be fun about it for a second. But basically, I I have two main criteria for people who I engage with online and people that I invite on my channel to talk and do debates and, and interview. So the first criteria is that they take philosophy seriously. I think that that's a really important criteria, and I, I don't think that it applies to everybody. Some people. So for someone, uh, here's an example of someone that I think does take it seriously. And who I really like to engage with is on on the other side of things is cosmic skeptic, Alex O'Connor. I think that, you know, he and I disagree about a lot of stuff when it comes to religion, primarily. But I think that he does care about philosophy, and so conversations with him can be productive because we have the same sort of values. We value some of the same things: critical thinking, logic, rigor, consistency, actual honesty. These are some of the same values that we that we have together. So that's that's really important. I, I look for that in someone else. The other thing is that they the second main criteria that I look for is someone who basically acts like an adult. So it's not always a, a debate or doesn't have to to get nasty or combative. People like that I typically avoid because I'm not that kind of person. And so when I try to like match myself up with another person, what I'm looking for is can they have just conversation without getting heated, without getting angry? Can they just have like a rational conversation, an intelligent conversation? They care about philosophy. And can can we do this in a way that is productive, that is cordial, and is not going to be – yeah. Yeah. Anyways, th- no, th- those are the, the, the main two things that I look for. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's good. 
Uh, Nick says his life is complete now. I guess that's when you took your hat off. So there you go. Oh my goodness. Uh, here is actually a, a good question from, from Doug from Pine Creek. He says, what is Cameron's, okay. what is Cameron's view of hell? Is it a place, eternal conscious torment, neither? So what's kind of your view of the doctrine of hell? So as far as where it is and, and what it is, I think that I'm, I lean toward a view of annihilationism and annihilationism, annihilationism is, uh, is something that's taught by a couple different denominations within Christianity. But what it basically says is that hell is not this place of eternal conscious torment. My daughter's back. Yay. Hey, perfect timing. You're hungry? Okay, we can have a snack in just a minute, okay? Hey. We'll wrap it up. All right. Yeah, no worries. Um, I'll give you some Oreos. Hang on. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's the view that I lean toward. And and what it says is that hell is not a place of eternal conscious torment. You're not conscious. You're you're going to be sort of killed. And that's, that's kind of what atheists already believe is something like annihilationism, where when you're dead, you're just you're gone. So that's. That's the view that I hold, and I, I I lean toward the view. I don't say that I hold it, and I I'm I'm always careful to to say that because I'm not completely convinced by it, but I think that it has something going for it. I'll also caveat that by saying this: I don't think that there are good philosophical objections to eternal conscious torment in terms of like ethics. So some atheists will say, well, how can God allow someone to be punished an infinite amount of time for a finite crime, something along those lines? And I don't think that's a very good argument. Hmm. And so I'm not I'm not convinced on those grounds to abandon eternal conscious torment and to hold annihilationism something like that. I I'm persuaded to hold annihilationism or to lean toward that view because of the, what the Bible actually teaches about it. Yeah, I agree. With so that. and that yeah. this is yeah, and this is something that I've uh, I haven't studied as deeply as I would like to in order to actually hold the position and, and publicly sort of defend it or, or say that this is my official stance. So I'm still tentative in that, but that's the view that I, I lean toward. So I don't lean toward the traditional eternal conscious torment view. I lean toward annihilationism. Yeah. And I know that that fits in pretty neatly with a narrative, I'm sure, that he has about me. And so this is going to just be some more confirmation <laughs> he some further, that, that he he's right about my psychology. Yeah, he has some further questions, which is great, Doug, but uh, we don't have time to address all the questions. You'll have to have Cameron on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh so Dr. Josh from Digital Hummer Alvey does say, no offense taken, love you both. And that was actually in a super chat. So thank you, Dr. Josh. Cool. Uh, we love you. So thanks so much. We love you too, Doug. I love you, Josh. I, lo I love Josh. I love Doug. And I love Pine Creek, Wichita, who is an employee of Doug. I think that's a joke. But anyway, that's all the question time we have for questions. Um, so Cameron's got to go uh, give his daughter some Oreos. But uh, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to the questioners and everybody and to our patron supporters. If you want to watch the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Cameron Bertuzzi, as well as all of our bonus segments, just follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a supporter. Thanks so much, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. Wait, I almost forgot. Cameron, is there anything you want to say? Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, Christianity is true. <laughs>